Good morning. I'll be doing our Bible reading this morning. We're going to be continuing on in Romans. I'll be reading Romans chapter 14, verse 1, through to chapter 15, verse 7, if you'd like to follow along. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, 
But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Thank you, Krista. It's my privilege today uh, to be opening God's word for us. Uh, If you're new here and haven't met me before, my name is Chris. I'd love to have the opportunity to meet you after the service. I'll be up the back near the info desk. We're doing a series on the book of Romans. And the subtitle of our um, sort of series is Forming the Transformed Community. And this week, we're up to week seven. I don't know if you can read that on the screen, but it, um, it says that the title of this week is Habits of the Transformed Community. Now, if you're one of these people that's been paying careful attention, or if you're looking at that slide closely, you might notice that we're doing a passage today that we've already done. Confusing? Maybe, but <laughs> we're, we're, um, it's an important passage. It's a key part of us understanding Romans. And um, when we did this passage at the beginning of the, uh, the series, uh, it was message two, we, we had Pastor Jonathan was doing it, and I'll just give you a recap, um, broad terms of what he said about this passage back then and then explain why we're doing it again. Um, So largely, what you've got here in the book of Romans is two different groups. The weak, uh, or who Paul characterises as the weak, who were probably mostly Jewish Christians, not only, but they were recently returned to Rome, having been expelled by a former emperor, and then when the current emperor had come into to play, they were allowed to return to Rome. They were likely poorer, having been um, refugees out and then coming back, and they had a desire to keep the Jewish dietary practices. You also have the strong, who were mostly Gentile Christians, non, non-Jewish people, uh, who had never been expelled from Rome, and so they were more established in society and richer, more powerful, and they embraced liberty from the Jewish traditions like the food laws and the Sabbath laws and those sorts of things. And you might recall that Jonathan uh, put this um, up there as, where does Paul stand? Was he with the strong or with the weak? Uh, and Paul himself says that he's, he's with the strong in the sense of the theological answer to the argument, but that he's going to walk towards the weak because it's more important for us to have unity than disunity. Um, so when we come today to look at this passage, um, 
in some senses, I guess what I wanted to say is that the, the theology has been answered in a sense, but a common mistake that we make about interpreting the Bible is that we answer the theology like that's the big issue that we need to answer, but we forget about the problem and we forget to put into practice the daily things that need to happen to enact what we say we believe. So, having sort of done an intro like that, uh, I'm going to pray and uh, let's, let's ask God to speak through his word to us. Lord, we know that you have given us your word, that we might hear your voice. So we pray right now for your Holy Spirit to touch our hearts. Unlock the doors that shut us off from hearing what you are really saying. So that we can not only hear but can follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, ostensibly this passage is about habits isn't it? We had some people who had habits that they had from their culture where they didn't eat certain foods. They didn't eat non-kosher foods. They were largely Jewish people or they might have been somehow in their conversion to Christian faith somehow influenced by Jewish Christians and so they weren't eating certain foods. And that habit is placed against another habit of being able to eat whatever you want. And so, on the surface, this seems like a passage which is about habits. But the interesting thing is that when Paul starts going through this and talking about the theology of it, in some senses, he says, you know, both are right. Let's have a a look here. We see... In verse 5, one person esteems one day, in other words the Sabbath day, as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So you see, Paul is sort of saying, it doesn't matter which one you do, (laughs) whether you abstain from certain foods or whether you eat certain foods. And he's also saying they're doing it from a a place of good motivation, aren't they? They're they're trying to do it because they're trying to honour God. And it doesn't matter which one you're doing, You're trying to do it to honour God. He he goes on um, to say, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. So he's saying, you know, if, if you're living this way to the Lord, where you're abstaining from certain foods, well, live to the Lord. And if you're living this way, where you don't abstain from foods, well, give thanks to God for them and live to the Lord. That's great in terms of a theological answer to the problem. 
But the real problem was deeper than that. The real problem was that there was division between them. The real problem was that they weren't concerned about how what they were doing was affecting someone else. And that division is really what Paul is trying to address here in this passage. And um, when we, we think back to the way Jonathan sort of put this, he said Paul might be saying that he's on the side of the right, but he's walking towards the weak. He might say he's with those who are strong, who don't feel the compulsion to abstain from food, but he's going to identify himself with the weak. So, the big question for today's message is, which Christian habits are the most important? And we're not actually talking about what do you eat or not. Those aren't the habits that Paul is saying are the most important. The most important habits are the habits that make for peace. What are those things that we are doing that help to bring about peace in the gathered community of God's believers? You know, um, Paul might ultimately say that there's freedom from food rules for everything is clean, he says in verse 20. But the, the key part of this, and um, you know, it's, it's funny how God works in, in my mind, I don't know about your mind, whether you have the same thing, but uh, as I'm going preparing a sermon, I, I have certain points along the line where I think, yeah, that's it. And then um, even as we were in our time of worship at the beginning of our service I thought you know I, I should actually say it like this which I didn't have in my notes but the habits that they were talking about in terms of food habits those were habits that they were engaging in out of a sense of religion if you want to put it that way it was like I need to do these things in order to be acceptable to God I need to do these things in order that God might look at me favorably. But as Christians, our understanding is that none of us are acceptable before God except because of what Jesus has done. And, and that's what we've reminded ourselves of as we've celebrated at the Lord's table today. And so in a sense... What Paul is asking us to do is, is not to emphasize the habits that we think might make us acceptable to God, but to emphasize the habits of grace. We have received God's grace, and so we display God's grace. We have received God's love, and so we display God's love. We have received God's forgiveness. And so we display his forgiveness. That's why Paul wants us 
to emphasize the habits that make for peace. So the big idea today is that the habits that matter are the ones that make for peace and for building up the body of Christ. They're the more important habits. Now, you might raise an objection. You might say, does this mean that unity is more important than correct theology? And that's a very good question or objection, if you want to put it that way. And in fact, there's lots of Christians that are grappling with this very question. Um, the, the Uniting Church in Australia came into being, I, I think, uh, and I'm not an expert on the history of the Uniting Church, but I think it partly came into being because they were suggesting that it was more important for Christians to be united than to be worrying about every nuance of theology. And so you had three different denominations that largely joined together. There were some individual churches that didn't, but there were three different denominations that largely joined together to make the Uniting Church. Another example of this in the church today is uh, in the Anglican Communion worldwide. So when you think about Anglican churches worldwide, there's a big movement in the Anglican um, churches called GAFCON. stands for Global Anglican Future Conference, and they have these conferences once every few years. And the people that go to the GAFCON conferences are largely asking this question, is unity more important than correct theology? Because the, the GAFCON Anglican churches largely have a, a different understanding of certain theological positions than the rest of the Anglican church. And in fact, even in our own Baptist churches here in New South Wales and ACT, this is a question that we have been grappling with as Baptist churches for several years now. And there's, uh, if you follow any of this stuff about Baptist Assembly and questions that have been put to Baptist Assembly in the last few years, it comes down to this question, is unity more important than correct theology? And the question that Baptist churches are asking is, is there a sort of a, a core set of beliefs for us as Baptist churches that we will say, if you agree with these set of beliefs, then lovely, we'd love for you to have unity with us and, and be in fellowship with us, but if there's certain things of that core set of beliefs that you disagree with, well then, God bless you, but there's other associations that you might feel more comfortable in. But it comes back to this question. Now, in today's message, I'm not going to answer that whole question. That's probably a series of messages um, to come to an answer on that. But Paul does give us a, a principle that I think is really helpful for us. So in chapter 15, verse 7, he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And if we look back at chapter 14... 
verses 3 and 4, we read, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. I think there's a principle here about unity, that if God has welcomed someone, then we ought not to be disunified with them. We ought to welcome them also, if God has welcomed them. Now there's a caveat there, it's the word if. <laughs> right? If God has welcomed them. Now, I'm not saying we should be unwelcoming for anyone that comes in the doors of this church. We should welcome anyone who comes in the doors of this church. But when we're talking about a theological issue or question or debate, if we truly believe that God has welcomed that person into his family, then they are our sister or our brother and we ought to welcome them also. Uh, I'm not going to say any more about that right now and it is a, it's a big topic, one worth exploring. If you're interested in discussing stuff like that, uh, that's maybe something that we can get into a bit tonight at our evening service. Uh, just a reminder, we have an evening service at 5.30pm. It's the same message but it's more relaxed and we take the opportunity for a bit of question and answer as well. So that's all I'm going to say about the objection. But today we want to talk about the habits that matter, which are habits which make for peace and for building one another up. So, what are those habits? Well, I've just, I've listed them all and there's more, there's more here in this passage, but there's a whole bunch here that we find in this passage. And the, I think the key about this is that Paul's not really wanting to talk so much about the food habits, the habits of religion. He's wanting to talk about what brings us together, the habits of peace, the habits of grace. He starts out by saying, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And that word um, there, despise, is a, it's a pretty strong word. It means to disdain, to treat someone as having no status or merit or worth or to perceive someone as beneath one's consideration. In other words, if we look down on someone who holds a different position than we hold on a particular idea, if we consider because they hold that position, let me, let me just make this practical for you. Um, I, I, I'm a person who believes in six-day creation. You know, you read in the, the book of Genesis, you know, God made the, 
plants and on the first day he rested and there was night and there was day. You know, and it goes through six days. Now, I believe that to be literal, but there are Christians, there's probably Christians here, there are plenty of Christians in other churches who believe that um, God made the earth, but that he did so through evolution and that it took whatever time frame evolution took. Now, if I, looking at and thinking about someone who holds the... Um, what theistic evolutionary point of view if I think of that person with disdain because they hold that point of view if I think that they're not worthy or that they have no status or that they have no merit Paul's saying that's not the way I should consider them I'm to have the habit of judging not and this is in terms of habits you know like it's easy for us to say oh judge not but this needs to be developed as an ongoing pattern of thinking in our lives when you come into church and you're talking with someone after church is your habit to think of them as a sister or a brother that God loves? Or is your habit to try and listen for what you think they might be doing wrong or thinking wrong? Is your habit to try and build yourself up by disdaining them, by putting them down? Or is your habit to build them up by affirming their worth as a child of God? I characterized, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats as judge not. And that word there, let not the one who abstains pass judgment. That means to sit in judgment on someone as if you're playing the part of God in rendering a person's condemnation. In our minds, in our interactions with one another, do we play God? We think, oh, God wouldn't approve of that. I can think of a situation, I'm not going to mention what it is, but I can think of a situation in my own mind where I pass judgment on someone else. I wonder if you're honest with yourself, can you think of a situation in your mind where you passed judgment on someone else, where you played the part of God, where you said, man, they're doing the wrong thing. Judge not. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And and to me, this is uh, this is really the... 
the character of building habits. If we live, we live to the Lord. Every day in our living, do we live to God? When you take your keys in the morning and you hop in your car and you're driving down the road, are you living for the Lord? When you go to Bible study on a weeknight and you're interacting with the people in your Bible study group, are you thinking about living to the Lord? When you go to your workplace and you're tempted to cut corners, are you thinking about living to the Lord? The habits of the transformed community are habits which take place by us considering how can I actually live for God in this circumstance? When I come along to church and I'm exhausted because I've had a heavy week, do I slump into the chair and try and keep in my own space? Or do I pick myself up and try and talk to someone so I can encourage them? What are the habits that you are putting in place in your life when you come to the gathered community of God? Are you living as if to the Lord? James Clear is a... Um, a popular writer. He's written a book called Atomic Habits. And in that book, um, he says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. Uh, we call ourselves a community that has been transformed by God. And we believe that when Jesus comes into our lives, that when we surrender ourselves to him, when we for, for, uh, confess our sins and seek his forgiveness, that he does transform our lives. That he gives us a new identity and uh, James Clear, I have no idea if he's a Christian or not. I don't know that he is, but he's just a popular sort of writer in, in the world. But he's suggesting that no single instance of doing something will transform your beliefs. But as the votes build up, as you keep doing a certain habit, that the evidence is there of your new identity. We don't do things in the Christian church to find favour with God. We've been mercifully given favour with God through Jesus. And if that's transformed your life, if it's transformed my life, then flowing from that ought to be evidence of that transformation that comes through in the habits that we engage in, in the way we think about our brothers and sisters, 
in the things that we do to foster peace, to show love. We continue through the passage. I'm just sort of touching on things, not going into it in great detail, but in verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. I wonder when you come to church, are you thinking, how can I make sure that I don't put a stumbling block in someone else's way? Um, I, I'm wearing a tie this morning. I, I don't generally wear a tie in the pulpit, but I know that there are churches that you can go to where everyone dresses much more formally, and, and if I got up in the pulpit of one of those churches without a tie, that someone else, and Paul would characterize their faith as weak, someone else might find that that was a stumbling block to their faith. If I went to a church, if I was invited to speak at a church like that, even though I feel freedom myself to not wear a tie when I preach, most of the time I don't, but if I was in a church like that, would it really be the loving thing for me to do to get up in the pulpit without a tie? No. Even though I have freedom not to wear a tie in the pulpit. When we come to church, are we considering how we can build up the faith of others and, and not put something that's going to make them stumble in their way? Paul says in verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. And I think that's the encouragement for us in terms of habits as the transformed community is, hey, let's walk in love. What are you doing to walk in love? You know, I, I can say that I love my wife and she can say that she loves me, but it's the habits that demonstrate that love, isn't it? Saying it, words aren't really that important. It's good to say it. But the habits of love demonstrate that love. Giving one another a hug or a kiss. Ironing the other one's shirts. Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> Offering to bring home a coffee. Putting the bins out or bringing them in. It is the little actions, isn't it? The habits which demonstrate the love. What are the little actions that you're taking week by week when you come to church to show your love to your brothers and sisters? I'm not just talking about serving on a roster. 
because I know there's plenty of us that serve on rosters and sometimes serving on a roster can be more about us finding a sense of identity in what we do. But what are the little things that we do to serve our sisters and brothers? Uh, I still remember um, some years ago uh, when I was pastoring at Riverston Baptist and uh, the church there has the school, Norwest um, School, and uh, walking around the playground there's always lots of rubbish on the ground. And so I, I made it uh, sort of a personal thing that if I walked right past a piece of rubbish, I should pick it up because of wanting to say to others who are there, hey, I care enough about you and about this place that I'm going to pick up a piece of rubbish and put it in the bin. There's all manner of ways that we can show and demonstrate love to one another in the church. There's someone having difficulty getting in and out because of mobility issues. Give them a hand. Hey, can I help you? Can I carry that for you? Someone's struggling to bring everything in for children's ministry. Would you like a hand? Can I carry that for you? Can I get you a cup of tea at morning tea time? You look cold. Would you like my coat? I'm sure if we keep brainstorming, you could come up with a thousand different ways that we can show love to one another, the habits of love. Where to promote peace. So then, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. When we're having conversations about future, when we're having discussions about church budgets, we've just done all of this, when we're having conversations about what's the right way forward, Let's follow these habits that promote peace. You know, um, we were at a, uh, some of us were at a building a discipling culture intensive and one of the speakers said, vision unites, strategy divides. <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. It's, we, we might agree on a vision, but often it's how do we get there that causes there to be friction amongst us. Let's do what promotes peace. Um, time is getting on, so I'll just quickly mention the last few. In verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Uh, remember, the habits we're meant to pursue here are not habits to get us into God's good books. 
the habits of faith, the habits motivated by faith in Christ as the Savior, it's those habits that are worth pursuing. The habits of grace-filled people. The habits of those who live understanding that it is by faith in God that we are saved. And because of that faith, allowing his love, his joy, his peace to flow from us. And finally, we read in chapter 15, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbour for his good to build him up or her up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And then a little later, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Are you glad Christ has welcomed you? Does it thrill your heart that you've been saved from your sin? I know it thrills mine. So often, um, I, I'm a bit of a, a, a crier. And um, as we were singing those songs at the beginning of the service, I, you know, come all you weary. Do you ever feel weary? You come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. Receive his cleansing. Isn't it great? Okay, that's not a rhetorical question. So that means you can answer it. Isn't it great? Yeah, isn't it fantastic that we can come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness, receive his grace? Let's allow that grace and that love and that joy and that peace to flow through us and to inform the habits, the actions that we undertake it's a Christian band called Ashes Remain who have a song called Greater Things. And this is some of what the song says. It's the little things that matter. So much more than we know, like a simple conversation gives a heart just a little hope. Every time we offer mercy, every time that we show grace, when we give love to the undeserving, like the one who took our place. One spark can start a fire. One drop begins a flood. Oh, as small as they may seem, these are the greater things. Let's practice the habits of the transformed community. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that we might be those who are so transformed by your forgiveness and grace that we offer forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace 
to one another and that it might bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.